On today's episode, we have Nick Nanakos. Nick's company, Truck Bucks, has been dominating the food truck industry. They raised over $500,000, have hundreds of trucks on their platform, and best of all, they get rid of all those lines. Nick was so passionate about Truck Bucks that he even dropped out of college to pursue it full-time. We had an awesome time talking to Nick today, and I know you're going to love this episode, so stick around and enjoy. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. Thank you for joining us, Nick. We're definitely excited to have you on. Um, I think for the first maybe 30, 45 seconds, if you want to do like a quick elevator pitch or brag to kind of get everyone up to speed on some of the awesome stuff you've done. Yeah, sure. Thank you guys for having me. Excited to be on. Uh, So my name is Nick Nanakos, founder and CEO of Truckbucks. Truckbucks is a food truck delivery app. Um, basically in summary, kind of, would you want me to pitch myself or the company? What's, how do you want me to open this up? Let's, let's do both. I'll do both. Okay. So, uh, originally from New York, come from a huge food entrepreneurial background. Family's been in the restaurant industry forever. Grandfather came here from Greece, started with a hot dog stand, and then they expanded into Greek restaurants, steakhouses, diners, cafes. Um, so worked in restaurants my whole life from a young age, went to school, Drexel university was studying finance and real estate. Was working corporate, thought it's what I wanted to do, ended up hating it. At the same time, saw a ton of food trucks on campus, noticed a large absence of technology. So wanted to fill that void and basically transform the industry um, with the technology that was needed. And so started building truck box while I was on uh, campus and then eventually dropped out and have been doing it full time ever since. And so we can dive a little bit more into truck box um, and I'll you know kind of give you the in and out details of everything. So. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I want to dive into all the different parts of your story and everything from truck bucks to your pit, uh, to dropping out and all that kind of stuff. Um, I guess the first place I want to start is I've noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs our age are the ones who are starting a lot earlier, the ones who've been inspired from their parents or generations before them. And you told that story about your grandfather coming over from Greece. I read somewhere online he had you know eight dollars to his name when he did come over. Uh, would love to know a little bit more about your grandfather and and that whole story of how he got started there. Yeah, I mean, definitely. My basically grandfather comes from one of the poorest villages in all of Greece. Um, I mean, there's just photos of where, you know, he used to live and his upbringing and everything like that. And, you know, at times were obviously extremely difficult back then. And um, when he came over, he really didn't have much at all. Um, and, you know, they got here, him and my grandmother, and he started just basically hustling in, in Manhattan. He started with a hot dog stand and he was always saying how like the cops would chase him around the block, basically being like, you don't have a permit to vent here and different things like that. Interestingly enough, it's kind of like a a food truck, right? So it comes full circle. Um, But then the rest of his family came over as well. And then they, you know, kind of put their capital together and their ideas together and started opening up restaurants and then going into more brick and mortars and different things like that. But from my grandfather to my father, to my mother, you know, my, my parents are also lifelong restaurant entrepreneurs. I mean, my father was a painting contractor, predominantly his whole life. But my mother has owned multiple restaurants as well. So it's just in the DNA and everyone is um, really, really savvy within the food industry. So did they help kind of encourage you to go off on this route or were they supportive or was it kind of mixed results there? So, I mean, they look like, again, it's kind of in our DNA, the food industry, but they never forced me to go down a food path. And I, always was intrigued by food because I have a very good understanding of it from not only, you know, the internal side of the operations and everything like that, but just every element that goes into starting up a food business or restaurant, right? There's so many different factors. 
Um, and I always felt like I was in, intrigued by food, but I never wanted to be directly in the food business, like owning a restaurant or working at a restaurant. So um, I kind of felt that starting truck bucks would be a means of impacting thousands of people within the food industry, as opposed to just starting one location and being, you know, set on that one specific venture, let's say I wanted to create something from a technological standpoint that would be able to power thousands of these vendors and thousands of these, you know, food entrepreneurs. And I actually never had that in mind. It kind of just came about. And I discovered that I wanted to do that after realizing what I didn't want to do, which was working corporate, corporate finance. So yeah, man, that makes a ton of sense. I know when I was in college, I was, I actually got a restaurant job, basically just working as a server. Um, and it's definitely no surprise to say that there's so many different restaurants that just have absolutely no technology and whether they're keeping all of their uh, cash on the books, it's just purely in cash, writing things down with pencil and paper. I know like the biggest innovation uh, when I was working at a restaurant was just basically toast came along um, the point of sale system. And like that just easily expedited how we were doing the orders and, and made things so much simpler. Um, what's this basically like the story behind you starting truck bucks? So you're in college, uh, your parents are lifelong entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry. Um, how did you actually go and get started? And, and I guess even more importantly, like how did you go about getting your first customer? So, yeah, absolutely. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think when you're around food from such a young age, you begin to appreciate and really understand the restaurant industry from a margin standpoint and from a startup cost standpoint. So you really understand like, wow, this is the amount that my parents had to put into this restaurant and how they were able to build it from the ground up and how much money was required. And when you see that from a brick and mortar standpoint, it's not a cheap thing to build out restaurants. They're pretty cost intensive considering labor, considering rent, considering location and food and everything beyond that. Um, and so when I was studying, there was food trucks everywhere throughout campus. And one of the biggest things, I mean, it was a culture, like everybody depended on the food trucks, all the students, faculty did, and they were literally everywhere. And every year that went by, there was more trucks on the campus and more trucks on the neighboring campuses. And then every city I traveled to, there was more food trucks there. And so it was evident that there was, you know, undeniable growth throughout the country and not only in my backyard, but also just, you know, everywhere else. And the thing that I noticed more than anything, like, you know, when you're around the food industry from a young age too, everything matters. Like your parents will tell you in the restaurant, like every napkin adds up, every straw adds up all, you know, every single expense adds up, right? Like every ketchup packet. And it's not from being a stingy standpoint, it's just being very cost effective because a lot of there's so much excess in food, right? Like how many people go out to a restaurant and don't even finish half the meal and then they throw it away, right? Like it's a ton of waste. Um, so any way that restaurants can eliminate waste and improve efficiency is going to help them obviously help their bottom line. So I'm kind of opening up with that standpoint, just to say, I understood from a cost standpoint, how important it was. And then I started looking at these trucks and the growth and I was like, okay, well, why are these trucks growing exponentially like this? And the biggest thing comes down to the cost, right? So uh, they're a fraction of the startup cost of brick and mortars. They're very lean models. They don't cost nearly as much to get started and off the grounds. And that's how they were born. These food trucks, they didn't exist in 2008. They were born during the recession. These were hard times. Restaurant entrepreneurs didn't have access to capital to start brick and mortar. So they, you know, then started food trucks. It's a kitchen on wheels. It's a mobile ghost kitchen. There's no dining experience, right? It's literally a mobile ghost kitchen. Um, 
And so you think like, oh, they're kind of maybe like a, a thing of the past. Actually, they're more so a thing of the future because if you understand the transformation of the restaurant industry and how ghost kitchens, ghost kitchens are expected to be a $1 trillion, with a T, $1 trillion industry by 2030. Again, food trucks are mobile ghost kitchens. Why did food trucks outperform brick and mortars during COVID, right? Like COVID, 50% of restaurants shutting down. Like, and it's no surprise to anybody how hard the restaurant industry got hit, right? My parents, restaurant entrepreneurs, we have restaurants in New York. So what did my parents have to do to survive? They have to opt into delivery services and online ordering and technologies and things like that. And, you know, if there's not indoor dining allowed or anything like that, you got to get savvy, creative and use technology. Um, and so that's kind of the way that things are going. Food trucks actually outperformed all of their counterparts during COVID. And it's literally because, again, no dining experience, their contact list to begin with. Like I was sitting with an investor in Austin getting coffee and there were food trucks outside by us and people were just walking up to the window and leaving, walking up to it. And I was like, you know, this is like peak COVID. And I was like, look, this is basically a drive through on foot. Like, they're not going inside. They're nothing. They hand it out and they grab it and they're out. So it's so, so efficient. That's exactly how a mobile ghost kitchen operates. But go, like ghost kitchens operate highly dependent on or only dependent on pickup and delivery. So we're bringing that technology into these mobile ghost kitchens, these food trucks, which are the way of the future. And that's why they are outperforming every other sector of the food industry. And that's why other companies are raising a lot of money around food trucks, right? So, um, you know, I, I kind of went on a little tangent there, but this is important data, but I do want to come back because I remember your question is kind of the story behind truck bucks. And the story behind truck bucks is basically all these trucks, people are waiting in line forever at the time. They're standing there for like 20, 30, 40 minutes. Nobody knows how to find these trucks. They're, they're, the trucks are mobile. That's one of their greatest assets, but can also be highly detrimental, obviously. So if people don't know how to find them. So the trucks are moving around all the time. Nobody knows how to find them. That's the second point. A ton of them are cash only ton of the trucks were cash only at the time. Cash is becoming obsolete. So people are limited in how they can pay. And then of course, there's no technology that's allowing these trucks to maximize their output within that limited capacity that they're operating out of. So, and it's a double-sided problem to the customer and to the truck. The, the customer is waiting. They don't know how to find the truck. They, they can't pay the way they want. And, you know, it's not convenient. And then the truck, you know, doesn't know how to attract new customers, doesn't know how to stay in touch with customers and let them know where they are, doesn't open their revenue streams to multiple kinds of payments. Um, and then doesn't have technology that's providing them with the data and the, you know, the operational system that's going to allow them to maximize that order output. So we came to solve it from a double-sided standpoint for both the truck and the consumer. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And honestly, too, I think it's cool hearing that story played out, whether it's from your grandparents or your parents and how you kind of grew up in the restaurant industry. I think Gio and I talk a lot about just different business models. And I think a big factor isn't necessarily even like your idea when you're starting a business, but like the actual model itself. And so you're kind of almost doing the exact opposite model of coming from a restaurant industry where like 10% margins are a good thing. Uh, and you're actually going to a model where it's like, hey, SaaS, we have 90% margins, whatever it is. Like you're kind of flipping the entire model on its head by being the platform rather than just like the actual restaurant or the actual food truck, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, even when you mentioned the word model, like that's hands down one of the most effective things to truck box right now. And it's why we're, our growth has been on fire, right? Like <clears throat> for anybody listening that doesn't know how truck box works, very simply, 
customers have an app, they download it, they can find nearby food trucks uh, based on their location, see the truck's menu, photos, ratings, everything about the truck, and then order ahead for pickup and delivery, paying with Venmo, Apple Pay, or card, get a quick alert when it's ready. Trucks have their own app. They can use it on a smartphone device or a tablet, lets them receive pickup and delivery orders, control their whole menu, their stock, their inventory, their images, their hours of operation, location, and sales analytics. Um, the biggest differentiating factor is that if they're going to go and partner, let's say restaurants or food trucks with any other service out there, they're going to be paying to offer delivery and pick up 20 to 30, and in some cases, 40% per order. So these companies are going to charge them basically on average 30% per order. We charge five. We charge 5%. It's not even comparable. So it's like no food truck in their right mind and restaurant for that matter is going to go and partner with a company that's going to do, you know, take 20 to 30% of their margin. The biggest value that these companies are bringing is that they obviously have millions of users on their platforms over time. But at the end of the day, even if they're bringing you a ton of orders, but they're just, just completely gutting you on your bottom line, then how beneficial really is it? I think it's more advantageous for an independent small business owner and restaurant entrepreneur to adopt a platform that provides the same exact services as those other giants, but then kind of push it themselves as well too, right? So like one of the things we do is really incentivize our partners to say, okay, but push our product too, right? Like, yeah, you can get on Uber and maybe orders initially will start coming in organically. But again, you're actually not walking away with any profit. And in many cases, you're actually losing money. So in our case, it's like, we should be your predominant ordering platform because it's again, 5%. Nobody, I mean, absolutely nobody is offering delivery for 5%. That 5% even includes the processing fee. So we're not even taking 5%. We're taking less than 5%. So the, the pitch to get your first customer must be dead simple then. Well, my first customer was, cause I started building in 2017 and then launched mid 2018. Um, back when we started our commissions were a lot higher. We were taking like 10 and 15%. And even back then that was cheaper. But as we've continued to evolve as a company, by the way, when we launched, we were only pickup. We weren't delivery. We didn't even have delivery as an option. We thought it would take years to do. Um, but we can now also deliver in all 50 States, every single city, every major suburb and provide the drivers. So it's not like you know, we go to these companies and say, well, you can offer delivery, but you got to hire your own drivers. There's a lot of companies that are currently doing that where they'll tell you that, you know, delivery is free, but then they expect you to hire your entire own fleet of delivery drivers and train them and then have to pay them. And that kind of defeats the whole purpose. So um, we used to take higher commission from the partners and then we cut it down to 5% because we're a tra transactional business. You know, from the outside, we look like, a DoorDash and Uber Eats, a Postmates for food truck. We look like this marketplace just really centered around food trucks, but we actually operate more like Square. And, you know, Square makes, I mean, from, from a model standpoint, Square makes all their revenue from transactions. Like, I mean, none of you guys have a Square app downloaded on your phone, but every single one of us has paid through a Square terminal countless times at a coffee shop or whatever. We all know that, that iPad screen when we see it. Um, and that's always square. So we're heavy transactional and moving forward, the plan is to always be the most cost effective for the, for the trucks and keep our, you know, do you, do you think that's going to be sustainable to kind of be around that 5% mark kind of going I, down in the future? 
I think it will be. I think it will be because we're going to end up processing so much transactions. Like every company is valued by a multiple of some metric, right? So like ours is order volume. The formula for order volume is a lot of trucks, a lot of customers making a lot of orders, right? So order volume is the golden metric. We don't necessarily, it doesn't, of course we want a lot of trucks, but if we have a thousand trucks and they're not processing anything, you know, any, anything worthwhile, then the unit economics don't look good, A, and we're obviously not really doing, we're not, not that effective. But if we have 500 trucks and they're performing at an insane level, then that's amazing, right? Like we have one truck that did $200,000 through truck bucks in a year's time, just through truck bucks. So that's a good, you know, base. That's a good, th- those are good unit economics. Um, and look, at 5%, the only way you're going to make money and sustain in the long term is going is going to be by having a ton of transactions by processing that volume. Perhaps we'll open up new revenue streams, though. Perhaps there will be things that we can say, okay, we're doing five percent, but now we're also going to provide you with X, Y, and Z. That's going to be ten bucks a month, optional, if you want to opt into that to get those additional services. Right, right. We can always monetize at a higher degree based on new services that we're willing to offer. I did a pitch that I dropped in Facebook group, uh, all these Facebook groups this past week, a 30 minute whole pitch of truck bucks to the, all these food truck vendors. There's like 70,000 plus, um, 70,000 plus food trucks in these groups. And I was like, 5% is negligible for delivery. I was like, if you're selling me a bacon, egg and cheese for $6 and I go to the grocery store and get those same raw elements, the carton of eggs and cheese and bacon, it's going to be like, what, 90 cents? But you're going to, I'm going to pay you $6 for that because it's a service. I'm like, and we're the same way. We're, t- we're taking a service. We're just the most cost-effective service. So it's a very reasonable price point for the trucks and for our customers overall, and everyone's willing to pay it. And I think that um, with time and more transactions, it'll be more than sustainable. Awesome. Could we dive into some of the numbers maybe a bit? Because it looks like in, in 2019, I think we found, you know, you guys had like 60 trucks or so, but I'm fairly confident with with COVID and it kind of sounds like you guys have had a lot of traction in a bunch of different directions, maybe kind of, you know, how many, how many downloads and what you guys are running through the platform? Yeah. I mean, we, at one point really kind of pre COVID levels had around 15 active trucks onto the platform. And um, that was pre COVID. We started getting a good amount of growth at some point, you know, through that. Um, and then kind of like organic. So it was like 15 at one point we started where that was like our base. And then we started kind of getting a little bit more through 19 and then through 20 and then COVID hit, we got a lot more now around over 135 on the platform. Um, and then, and by the way, that's pretty much all organic, all trucks inbound and all trucks coming to us. We just now launched a sales outbound team. Like, we, we now, just this past month, officially have people that are targeting trucks in our market. Everything prior to that was pretty much me signing up every single truck, right? And I'm not saying that to brag, it's just the reality because we didn't have the capital, we didn't have the personnel to deploy it. This past year, we, you know, we raised a $500,000 higher than that, half a million dollar plus uh, pre-seed round. And that was able to take our team from four people to 23 people. Not all 23 people full-time, obviously, but some of them are, and some are part-time interns and things like that. Um, 
And now we're starting to see with the inbound of trucks that are coming in and the outbound team that is targeting these trucks in our markets, a lot of trucks joining the platforms, a lot of trucks, ghost kitchens, restaurants, two restaurants in New York just signed up. And yeah, of course it's niche and focused around the food trucks, but if a restaurant wants to join, of course, why not? You know? That's awesome. And you, so you raised half a million dollars. I saw you guys were on a fundraising site, Seed Invest, was mm-hmm. it? Yes. What's What exactly is Seed Invest? Because I was looking through some of their platform a little bit. It looks like it's like the Kickstarter for equity crowd crowdfunding. Uh, is that safe to say? Or? Essentially, it's a platform where they accept less than 1% of companies that go. There's over 350,000 investors on the platform uh, blended between accredited and non-accredited investors. Um, and for anybody that doesn't know, the only difference between those titles really has to do with like net worth and income. Um, and you got to get like certified to have that title, I guess. But companies go live. You have a campaign that you run. It can be like 45 days or it can be 60 days. Ours was 45. And then you have a certain amount of money that you have to raise within that time between accredited and non-accredited investors. Minimum investment is a thousand. Um, And then if you hit your target within the campaign time, within the campaign timeline, you get to keep the funds and then seed invest takes a little fee from that at the end. If you fall short, if you fall short by a thousand dollars, all of it goes back to the investors and you don't get any of it. So, you know, in our case, we had a successful campaign and we brought that in and a lot of it came from seed invest, but a lot of it also came from our net, our network as well of just investors. We have some really good investors behind us now, some from Silicon Valley, some in the Texas area, different founders, some people that sold companies to Apple and stuff like that. So, um, would you recommend other people kind of going the crowdfunding route or, you know, find, find a couple seed investors or like a VC firm kind of what's, what's your opinion on that now that you've kind of done both? I think it depends. Um, it really, really depends. If you have a really powerful network that you can leverage yourself, um, of good angels and good funds, and you can go and do it yourself that way, I would probably say it's better to go that route. Like the crowdfunding is good because it runs a lot in the background while you're still getting to execute. But nonetheless, it's a little bit cleaner and quicker if one guy's going to come and give you a hundred thousand dollar check as opposed to, um, you know, a hundred, one thousand dollar checks, right? So nonetheless, on the cap table, it still appears as one line item when you go through these platforms, which is good. You don't have a hundred people or whatever on your cap table because um, it all gets consolidated into one, you know, basically uh, entity. And, but if it was up to me, I would, I would rather go straight direct to the investor. It's just, in my opinion, better and easier. And you also have a uh, clear relationship with one person instead of a lot. Yeah. It's also just less stakeholders too. It's, that's kind of nice. Um, so you're hands down, like in the top 0.001% of people now in terms of like knowledge on food trucks, the economics there, how they've been doing the past year. Um, I feel like everyone who's listening right now, like myself included is wondering, we've seen restaurants shutting down left and right. I mean, you're from New York, you know, like we see all this stuff with the barstool fund coming out and like saving restaurants, uh, in Boston too. Like some of my favorite restaurants have gotten shut down. It sounds like, though, from what you're describing, COVID, like obviously a, a terrible thing in its own, was actually kind of great for the f- mobile food truck industry. Is that true or is that completely yes. out of line? Yeah, it's completely fair to say. And you, you nailed it. Um, it was terrible for the restaurant industry. 
And there's no denying that restaurants shut down left and right. A lot of it due to the fact that, you know, customers weren't going out. A lot of it also do depended on the city that they were in based on the level of intensity of the lockdowns. Um, regardless, what happened with the restaurant industry is that it's now been forced to transform and go more toward ghost kitchen food trucks. However, you had a ton of people that were shutting down their restaurants and going and starting food trucks. And another thing is in these times where large gatherings and events are canceled and people are forced to stay put, the trucks can go to the customers. They can mobilize. The restaurants can't. They're confined to that brick and mortar space, right? And they make their money by people. They're paying for that space so people can be in that space unless it's a ghost kitchen and the space is simply a kitchen and that's it. But if you put hundreds of thousands of dollars into this, into this building, probably what, 60, 75% of it is seating. Um, so it's obvious that they were going to get crushed, unfortunately, during that period. Um, for the trucks, on the other hand, again, they mobilized, they found customers, they went to apartments, they partnered with HOAs, they, they did it. They got very, very creative. That, that in itself is, is to be expected because trucks were already born under hard times. So it's fair to say that they would be more suitable for survival in hard times again, uh, because they don't have the rent and labor costs. But what it did more than anything for the industry, COVID, was serve as a catalyst for these food truck owners to adopt technology. I had conversations with vendors two years ago saying, you should be doing this. You should be using our app. It's going to allow you to reach more customers, whatever. Some of them were, you would think, allergic to it. Um, and the same people that did not would come and say, okay, I'm in now. I need it. Let's go. You know, an entire mindset shift from so many trucks. I mean, they, seriously, you, you guys probably have experienced it in your lifetime where you've gone to a truck and they only take cash you know, or just card. Now, a lot the biggest concern was, was, well, I'm working on this little space. What do I do with the bags? How can I even store the food if there's all these to go and I'm cooking in here and, and they make it work. They make it work. So the biggest thing of all was the mindset shift and the transformation uh, to accelerate the adaptation of online ordering and delivery technology within food trucks. And obviously that plays right into our hands. So and when COVID hit, we did also offer 90 days of zero commission. So if they got one order or a thousand orders, we didn't take a penny. We actually lost money on the transactions. And that was something we were willing to do because A, it helped them weather the storm and get through difficult times. But B, it helped us add a lot of partner trucks to the platform. Smart. With, uh, with all the money that you guys raised, what's been kind of your focus on that? You mentioned you're hiring a sales team, like an outbound sales team. Is that the primary focus or, cause I always think that's a kind of an interesting, you know, what do you, what do you do with it now? Right. Once you raised it. Yeah. I mean, so we, we closed it, um, officially probably like two months ago or so. Um, and the primary spend I would say went to of course hiring and being able to pay people and stuff like that in terms of specific areas, our most mature and built out team is our tech department. We have some amazing engineers now. So I think now 12 engineers, um, they can create technology at a really just exceptional pace. Like, for example, there's a few different main components of technology within Truckbox. And in 2020, we had some of our technologies that were dated and not 
fully scalable. And so we took every single product and built them from scratch in React Native in the best, most powerful technology, right? Like we're, our apps are built in the same app, same technologies that Uber Eats is built in, LinkedIn is built in, Instagram is built in. So the technology itself is of immense value. Like a lot of the conversations we have is focused around partnerships, the idea, vision, strategy, and, um, you know, industry. But let's also not forget what we've built. I tell my team this, I say, it's pretty insane when you think that these companies have raised hundreds of millions of dollars and they're valued at billions of dollars. We haven't even raised $1 million, $1 million yet our technology does the same thing as theirs. And we have definitive feedback and proof and testimonials from all of our customers saying that ours is preferable and better with half a million. What if we raised millions of dollars, what we would be able to do? And what if we raised hundreds of millions of dollars, which we will do, but you know, it's pretty insane to think of just how reliable and powerful the tech itself actually is beyond the execution of the team. And in terms of spend, a lot of it went towards bringing on additional developers and a lot of it went um, towards building out the sales team and a lot of it also to the marketing team. So, you know, we have several departments built out in, in house. Everything's in house. We don't outsource a single thing, but um, you know, hiring a, head, a full-time head of marketing, Celine, she does a fantastic job and built the team underneath herself. Um, our entire engineering team, our creative director is also, you know, kick ass. Everybody's just fully focused and all in, even down to the co-ops. You know, Drexel has a co-op program where students can work with us for six months. And I had a halfway check in with every single one of them last week. And because they're exactly at the halfway mark. And my goal of last week was to find out if they're, A, how are they enjoying their experience and are they here for the long term or not? And every single one of them, every single one of them is coming back and staying with us part-time for just the, as long as we can see it, see it through. Like nobody's stopping and finishing. And one guy that's working at Truckbox, he's working full-time at another company. And he's been there for a year and a half and he does part-time at Truckbox too. And he said, Nick, I've been working at this company for a year and a half. I've learned more at truck bucks in two months than I have my entire time there. He's like, every day I go into the office on a floor of 400 engineers and I feel like nobody. Every time I work at truck bucks, I feel important. I feel very important. I feel included. Like I feel there's a purpose behind what I'm doing. And that's the best thing that I can hear because that's all I intend to do. My, my biggest thing is empowering people right? Like just empowering them to feel their best, to work their best, to look their best, everything. Like I literally will just, just try to empower people. Like I always say, if there's one thing I want you to, to remember me as some of them, will, some of the people on the team will be with me forever. And we'll just take this till either a massive acquisition or a large IPO. Other people may not, maybe it's a stop in the road, but they will always tell you, every single person will tell you, I mean, I feel the most confident version of myself when I'm working at truck books. I feel like the most empowered version of myself, the most, you know, badass version of myself. And that's the culture I want to create. You know, that's awesome, man. And so Nick, you're 24, right? Is that yeah. 24 years old? So question for you. So how did it go actually hiring people? And do you have people on your team that are 
you know, significantly older than you with more experience than you? And what was that process like, whether it was convincing someone to go and quit their full-time job and work for you, or even just go and come on board and give the, give you six months or a year of their time? Yeah, currently I'm the oldest on the team, but I have had people older than myself on the team as well. Um, even including full-time people, right? So I've, I've had it from all different standpoints. Um, and sometimes I think age can play a factor, but sometimes not really at all. I think it all comes down to everyone being aligned on, you know, the, the values of the company and, you know, the, the purpose behind the company. But from a hiring standpoint, I would say if they're not a hell yes, then they're a hell no. And I had a call uh, with my tech team the other day. It was me and all the engineers. And I said, guys, did anybody ever hear about Elon's 25 guns that he calls it? And they were like, no, what's that? 25 guns. I was like, okay, 25, Elon's 25 guns are like the top 25 most badass, amazing engineers that he has working for him at Tesla. And they get that select title. I'm like, every single one of you is one of those guns. Like that is the same thing. Like every single one of you has to fit that criteria. And I said, that goes into hiring. I said, moving forward, if they don't know our exact stack, they can't join the team. And it's not because we don't want them to grow, but it doesn't make sense. And it's going to significantly slow us down. And that's the reality. I had to send three denial emails, just, I think two weeks, this within the past two weeks alone of engineers trying to join our team with interviews. Well, because we're becoming increasingly competitive and we have to be because we're moving at such a fast pace right now um, that we can't afford to slow down. And that's beneficial to us and them because they wouldn't enjoy the experience if they were joining with such a, you know, uh, with, with such a lack of understanding of the exact stack. It's not to say like you have to be perfect and know everything. Of course not. Like you're going to learn a ton just from being here, but at least you have to know the stack, the technologies that we're working with. So it's applicable and we can work synergistically together. I think, I think that makes sense to kind of make sure everyone's on the same page. You mentioned uh, kind of the ghost slash cloud kitchens a few times. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's going to, I mean, obviously it seems like it's a booming uh, niche right now. Um, and then kind of Mr. Beast had, had his like burger chain, yep. uh, partnership that I did was, which was super interesting. What are your, what are your kind of thoughts on, on that industry? I think it's going to kill it. Um, I, I don't think it's overhyped at all. I think it's just something that is going to really dominate again. It's going to be a $1 trillion industry by 2030. And, you know, I noticed this firsthand, I was working in my mother's restaurant and I got, let's say, you know, I think two or three tablets on, on the countertop and I'm working like the whole floor and there's like Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, all, all my mother's restaurant. And then there's people dining in and eating as well. The people are there and they're sitting there for an hour, an hour and 15, whatever it is. And, you know, they're asking for extra sauce and extra napkins and refills and all these things. Then you've got to pay somebody to clean up after them. If it's not me, then it's somebody else in the restaurant, right? And you got to clean up and then you got to, and all in all, they finish paying and their check comes out to $60. And then you get three bells, ding, ding, ding from all these tablets and they're $60 a piece. And guess what? They're not in the restaurant. You're not giving them additional resources. And you're not paying anybody to do that. You're touching a button, the kitchen's preparing it, and you just made three times the amount of money. 
than it took for you to serve the people sitting in the restaurant. And one of the most genuine and amazing things about the restaurant industry is the in-person element, right? Like that's one of the most amazing things from not only the customer standpoint, that's why we love going to restaurants, right? To be around humans and be around each other and be with loved ones and enjoy a good meal together and a nice ambiance. It feels the same way from owning a restaurant. You love making people happy and serving them. That's why people got into it and obviously feeding them. But the reality is from an efficiency standpoint, it's, it makes more money that way. Of course, factoring in the fee structure that these companies are taking. So yeah, if you're, if they're hitting with 20, 30%, then it's not good. But if you were using truck bucks, then you would be making out really well, obviously at 5%. So I believe in the ghost kitchen industry exponentially. And I think it's also something that we're going to get into in the future. It's just that we're very laser focused on the software side of things right now, but we will definitely branch out into the ghost kitchen space. Makes a ton of sense. I think from a business model standpoint, it just makes sense. You don't have the overhead of actually having to have 75% more real estate. You can hire less employees. Uh, you have way bigger distribution, right? Rather than having the people that are two miles within your block in the city, or I guess even smaller than that. Uh, now you can go and deliver to anywhere in the city or even beyond that. Um, but you mentioned the experience part. And I know like, you know, not everyone is a Mr. Beast with millions of subscribers in YouTube and you're getting a Mr. Beast burger and he's throwing $100 in cash in the car when you drive up to it, like, what do you see as being the, like if cloud kitchens and ghost kitchens are the future, right? By the way, I'm using those terms, right? They're interchangeable, right? Or So ghost kitchens is more general of, of the industry. Cloud kitchens is actually one specific company. That's Travis Kalanick's startup. Gotcha. Okay. Makes a ton of they're sense. They're the most notable. They're the, they're the largest. So kind of they're interchangeable. You're not the only one to do that, but technically it would just be ghost kitchens is the industry. Cloud kitchens is the leading ghost kitchen company. Got it. So what are your thoughts from an experience standpoint? I mean, is the future what we're going to see becoming where celebrities are just partnering with different cloud kitchens or, or sorry, like ghost kitchens uh, and essentially like making the Mr. Beast type videos where 300 burger shops pop up overnight or you see like someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, turn around and say, I'm going to now go and launch this new ice cream brand or something like that. And it's going to be available at all of these different ghost kitchens. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's highly likely that that would probably happen for sure. Um, I think one thing that's interesting as well is, you know, the, there's a big creative side of opting into ghost kitchens. If you go into a ghost kitchen and you're, and a lot of people don't understand what ghost kitchens are. So in a very simple way, guys, it's a giant facility, right? So like there's a big plot of land, they buy the plot of land, they construct a big facility and it's all kitchen spaces. Let's say there's 4,200 square foot kitchens in that facility. Restaurant entrepreneurs go and occupy those spaces and pay monthly rent to be there and use those kitchens, almost like tenants. And all they do all day around the clock is cook food and package it and only serve orders from pickup and delivery apps. Nobody's coming into the restaurant. Nobody's getting served nothing. They're, they're just pumping out orders for pickup and delivery. And then they partner with the drivers and and it's worse like that. So it's a delivery only facility and pickup only facility. Um, and I, I think it is highly likely that you're going to see celebrities getting into it and launching their own brands and whatnot. But again, that creative side of what's cool is you can have a restaurant restaurateur come in to a ghost kitchen space. And now he's operating, he or she's operating out of this kitchen. And because they're only reliant on pickup and delivery, they're all online businesses on DoorDash and Uber Eats and Grubhub. They can launch 
five different menus or five different brands on those apps operating from the same kitchen. So like, let's say my mother's restaurant is like Tzatziki Greek Grill. That's what my mom's restaurant is. Her restaurant also serves burgers, pizza, other things. She could put together an entire burger menu and list it as another establishment on those apps without needing another physical location. She could have, so she could have five profiles on DoorDash all pointing to the same place coming out of the same kitchen. Yeah, that's genius. I think, so one other thing that I really want to know uh, is basically you were talking about when you were in Drexel, you were studying finance and real estate and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes. Do you, do you think that you're going to see ghost kitchens as a essentially real estate class of assets start popping up and becoming way more competitive and way more popular? Because like, I know from different, different uh, real estate opportunities, you'll find that there's a lot of different models where you have many different tenants. Do you think that that'll be the same thing in ghost kitchens where it's like, Hey, these six restaurants rent out of my like industrial warehouse kind of ghost kitchen uh, and are able to go and deliver from there? Or what do you envision that looking like? I do see them as real estate. I I say this all the time and I think they already are. And I think that once developers fully wrap their heads around it, they're going to understand too. Again, I can't keep pointing that to that trillion dollar number because I mean, that's an insane number relative, just thinking about how new these things are, right? Like in a 10 year span, it's pretty insane. I reached out months ago, maybe like seven or eight months ago, to the largest real estate developer in all of Philadelphia and the largest office landlord in Austin. And I was talking to them about ghost kitchens. And I said, look, like you got to get on this now. Like this is a, this is real estate. This is real estate, whether you realize it or not, there's a giant grocery store, massive, massive lot, like right up the street from me here. And I'm like, that should be turned into a ghost kitchen. Like, you know, so I totally think it's already a real estate play. Do you, do you think they need companies like Cloud Kitchen though? Or do you think there's going to be like mom and pop ghost kitchens that someone that just owns a restaurant building might kind of convert it? Or do you think there's a lot of value that something like Cloud Kitchens actually provides? I think if people are sophisticated enough, they can probably go ahead and do it themselves. Um, the biggest thing about Cloud Kitchens is they cover things a lot from a logistical standpoint because there are a lot of logistics. Like look, from a development standpoint, Okay, buy the facility. You have the capital, buy the facility. You know how to create these kitchens. Okay, you know, like, so building and developing, I think anybody can pretty much do that that has experience in that. Like, Cloud Kitchens isn't a developer necessarily, they hire developers. Um, but the logistical standpoint is very important. And also the technology behind it is important. And the ability to bring these, these restaurants growth. Because you got to think about it too, from you congest all these restaurants into a facility. And as amazing as Ghost Kitchen sounds, people have to know they're there. They have to know they exist. And, you know, they got to be getting a ton of volume, actually. Um, otherwise, they're not going to be able to afford the rent too. And it's going to be the same kind of dilemma. And that's going to hurt them. And it's going to hurt Cloud Kitchen. So they got to get a ton of volume. And I know that Cloud Kitchens does put a pretty big effort into vetting their partners and helping drive growth. And they also have their own technology called Otter which takes all of the orders from Grubhub, Postmates, Uber Eats, and DoorDash and sends it to one and one receipt printer so that you're not balancing 10 different screens. That's pretty cool. Um, Nick, your story is awesome, man. Uh, question going back to, I guess, around the time that you probably started seeing truck bucks start to get a little bit more traction. You mentioned that you dropped out of Drexel. 
uh, I think was, I think I read online, it was like, what, a semester before you're supposed to graduate? Mm, yeah, a uh, year, year before. Year before. Curious what, why you decided to drop out rather than pushing through for the last year uh, and really like what your thoughts were on the whole thing. I mean, Gio and I just graduated uh, last May from Northeastern up in Boston and like would be lying to you if I said I didn't think about dropping out once or twice during the time at Northeastern. Um, so I'd love to know a little bit more as to like why you decided to make that jump uh, and, and why make it like just a year before graduating. We yeah. probably had that question once or twice a semester, but yeah, <laughs> definitely curious <laughs> you know, how that played out. Look, I'll, I always open up by saying I'm not anti-education. Um, being at Drexel was one of the best experiences of my life, but generally speaking, I never was that big of a fan of school to begin with. Um, I just didn't like the environment that much. I just always kind of liked doing my own thing. I, when I was really little, I always used to pretty much get in trouble at school. <laughs> so, um, I just didn't like the school environment ever from a young age, I think from, from most things. And not because I didn't actually like learning. It's just, I just didn't feel what I was learning was applicable or useful to me. I say it all the time. Like I, even when I think about my kids in the future, I don't have kids, but when I do have kids one day, I think about like the curriculums that I want them going through. And I think that there's a way better path of things that they should be learning and applying themselves to but without doubt, rather than the standard, what they're going through now, especially relative to the cost of education. What's that, what's that path out of curiosity? Sorry to interrupt. But I would I'm love curious. to start my own school in the future. I would love to have my own school. Um, and what would you teach? I, I would teach, first of all, I mean, we don't know how, people don't know how to write a check. People don't know how to write a check. You have to Google how to write a check. Think yeah, about that, right? A check. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> how to mail an envelope, right? So, I mean, like these are just this life skills is very important. Um, I do think communication is very, very important. Public speaking. I think the kids should be taught to be leaders from a young age. I think they should learn about tax. They should learn about income tax, right? A lot of hands-on projects. They should learn about how to start a business from a young age that like different kind of things. I'm sorry, but I don't think a squared, B squared, C squared really did shit for me. And also I don't know how many of us even remember how to do long division. And you know, like the thing is that the, the education system is highly based on memorization. It's like who can memorize and cram the most information and take the test and ace it and then forget it a week later and do that again and again and again for years. But who's retaining the information? How much of what you learned in college did you really retain? You know, unless it was that stuff that was very specific to you, your major and your, your industry and everything like that. So retention is key. And how do you, how do you make people retain knowledge? You make it fun, you make it exciting and you make it applicable. Like we, I don't remember, you don't remember like on the wide scale in a year, every single moment, but you remember your vacation trips very definitively because they were fun and entertaining and like they spark something out of you. Right. So like learning has to be the same way. And I think there's got to be a better path with real skills that they have to be taught from a young age. And I, I would want my kids to go through that and have curated teachers and obviously like going down a path where I would have the, the ability to be able to afford something like that and uh, whatever, but that's kind of my thoughts around yeah. education. Um, no, that, that makes sense. It was there a specific day or moment when you decided like, Hey, you know, truck bucks is starting to take off. I don't think I want to go and pursue my last year. Uh, like, was there a specific time or was it just something that's kind of been it, building up for a while? It, it, it was kind of a buildup, but where it got to be too much, where it was, you know, I took two leave of absences and I'm like, a leave of absence again. Okay. Now I just delayed my graduation date and took another leave of absence. My GPA was going down. I'm in class and I'm 
teachers talking at home, just typing away emails and talking and running the business and then running out of class to get phones and talk to trucks. And so I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what am I really doing right now? You know, all of my, my heart and soul is invested into the company and it's now. And I, and I didn't feel like I needed a plan B, which at that time was, would have been my degree because I feel like when you have a plan B, you've already admitted that you won't succeed. So like it was not, it was now or never at the time. And my parents resisted it a lot initially until I got to the point where I said like, mom, dad, like it's doing really good. Okay. And you have to let me go all in on this because this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, and they were like, okay. And they supported it eventually. And they never gave me a fuss about it ever after. And, and I can genuinely tell you, I never think back on it and regret it ever. Like if my kids wanted to drop out or not do college and as long as they had a definitive thing, like I would be all about it. That's fine. As long as you have a purpose and a path, you know, then that's fine. That's awesome. Yeah. And you said in the beginning of the podcast, starting early, like I'm so thankful that I've been doing this since 2017 because I'm 24 now and it's this far along. And I tell people when hiring, you were asking about hiring too. I'm like, you're joining at the most exciting time. You're not joining in 2017 back when it was just an idea. Like it's so far built out now. This is the peak moment for you. It's so good. And so I'm so fortunate that I'm not, the company's not where it is now. And I'm 33 or 35, you know, I'm 24. I'm just a year out of college basically. So how has that been without kind of a co-founder? I feel like, especially dropping out or, you know, even just running the business on a day-to-day I don't know. I feel like from an accountability standpoint, it definitely helps me when, you know, when someone else is there that you're working with, or yeah. it's going to be definitely interesting. Yeah. My, st- my story is a little bit interesting. I started the company with uh, a different co-founder in the beginning, one of my best friends, and we built the app. So we built, we built an app and then launched the app and separated ways. And then I built a company. So I mean, it's an amazing relationship. Still one of my best friends. He's still involved in the company, but he serves in an advisor standpoint. And then I kind of branched out solo. And then that's shortly after that is when I brought on my CTO, my co-founder Summit. And he's the one who took the company with me to a next level because he built all the entire tech team underneath him. And now, you know, 12 engineers in house. So I've had moments where I've been with a co-founder and now I have co-founders, right? Like I have like some at my CTO, our creative director, like those are guys that are co-founders, but I've been on both sides. I would say building a product, having a co-founder is an amazing thing. Um, that accountability standpoint, you know, and that, that ability to rely on one another, very critical. But even in the journey, you know, you understand that once the company grows, you have to get better at delegating to people and you can't think that you can handle everything yourself all the time, 24 seven. And that's what co-founders help with. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Um, now, where do you think that you want to be by the time that you're 30, right? You're 24 today, 10 years out, 20 years out, whatever it is. Like, do you have a plan or are you kind of just taking things one day, one year at a time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think like one year that I was always looking forward to in my entire life, even from when I was younger, was 25. And now I'm going to be 25 this upcoming year. So that's exciting. I think it's good things are going to happen. Um but why were, you looking, why were you looking forward to that year so much? <laughs> it's always an, a, a year that in my mind stuck in my mind. Like by the time I'm 25, I want to be doing this. And, you know, I think if my younger self, like eight year old, 10 year old, 12 year old, whatever could see what I'm doing now, I'd be very proud and I'd be content with, you know, where I am. Um, I, I don't think content's the right word, but I'd be proud. Um, 
And then 25 is just always a number that stuck in my mind. And then 30, look, I obviously I, I'd imagine the company being a hundred times larger than it is today. Um, having gone through several rounds of funding. So closing a massive seed and then an A and then probably a B by that point. Um, just an enormous company, like huge, huge success with truck box and seeing where it's gotten to that point. Perhaps somebody will have come along before that time and offered a huge price to buy it. Maybe I would sell it. Maybe not from a personal standpoint. Um, probably have family things really in order. I mean, like I'm, you know, I'm all in on married to the company right now. Um, but I would like to obviously have that family, family element as well. I come from a huge family background, really close Greek family and stuff like that. So I'd like to have probably start thinking about it, you know, towards that time, wife, kids and everything. So I think everyone's going to be really curious to kind of see how that, how that progresses and, you know, everyone's going to want to follow what you're doing. Um, you know, what, what's the best way for people to find you? Twitter, email, website? How do you like to do that? I don't really do Twitter. Um, we just have a company Twitter, but I would just say LinkedIn. It's just Nick uh, Nanakos, N-A-N-A-K-O-S. Um, that's probably the best way. And if you wanted to kind of reach out for anything specific, just shooting me a message on there. I usually always get to it and then we can get on a call or something like that. Um, no personal website yet. None of that just all locked in and zoned in, but LinkedIn is probably the best way. And then definitely giving us a follow on um, our accounts. It's just at truck bucks on everything from Instagram to Twitter, to TikTok to LinkedIn and YouTube and we're everywhere. Um, so follow us there. And of course, above all else downloads would be great. So definitely, you know, check out the app and get your favorite food trucks delivered to you. Good man. Nick. Appreciate you coming on today. Same, man. Same. I had a great time. And I mean, I could, I could, I could keep going. You guys got me going now in this <laughs> go for three more hours. So we could turn it into a Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, right. There we go. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get uh, a young, a young Jamie out here editing it all up afterwards too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, it was awesome. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, I could share some updates and, you know, you guys asked great questions. So 